What is the good news of this strange John the Baptist and Herod story? We've come to the end of this series looking at prophets speaking to power, prophets speaking to kings, and this one ends so tragically. What is the good news of this strange and seemingly tragic John the Baptist and Herod story? Well, the good news is this, that in a world full of lies and deceit, God will send heralds to speak his truth. God will not let the world, the world he loves, simply continue into lies and deceit, but he will send heralds to speak his truth in every day, in every generation, and to every moment of corruption. The problem we see in our world is that we are living in a world so full of deceit and lies. And we're so full of lies and deceit in our culture, we can't even always see them for what they are. The things we say, the half-truths. We sometimes even get confused when we talk to one another between different cultures. One thing I found, especially since moving to the United States, is how often uh, Americans can get lost in translation of what British people are trying to say. As a Canadian, I'm kind of like bilingual. I speak both British and American. And a friend of mine who's British sent me this list recently, just giving you a sense of even the, the confusion of truth in what seems like plain language. So when a Brit says to you the phrase, that is very interesting, it means that is ridiculous. When a British person says, that's quite good, it means it's quite disappointing, actually. When a British person says, I'm sure it's my fault, it really means I'm sure it's your fault. When a British person says, I'll bear that in mind, they really mean I've forgotten about it already. When a British person says, that is a very brave proposal, it means you are insane. When a British person often says, you must come for dinner, they really mean it's not an invitation, I'm simply being polite. And when a British person says, with the greatest respect, it really means you're an idiot. This story, this John the Baptist and Herod story has no confusion in translation. There's no way you can read this story and not see a prophet speaking clearly words of truth against a corrupt king full of deceit. The way John speaks to Herod is so clear. There's no misunderstanding here. And he gets killed for speaking so clearly to this king. But here's the amazing thing. There's good news in this strange story. See, the good news, as I said a moment ago, is that in a world full of lies and deceit, God will send his heralds of truth. God will not simply let deceit and lies continue. He will send his heralds. The hard news about this for you and I today, though, is that the heralds of truth that he sends are you and me. 
See, this story isn't just about John the Baptist. This ultimately is a story of what it means to follow after Jesus. I love in Luke chapter 7, after the death of John the Baptist, in Luke's version, Jesus says to the disciples in verse 28, he says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What Jesus is saying is, you look at this story of John the Baptist and Herod and this incredible clarity by which he speaks truth to power. And that story is meant to be ours. Don't leave it in the annals of history. Don't let this story simply be John's story. This is meant to be our own story, if we can hear it. We find in this strange John the Baptist confronting Herod's story is that God sends his heralds of truth to speak the truth first with courage. The first thing we see here is how courageous John is to speak these words. But not only do we see that God sends his heralds to speak truth with courage, but also he sends his heralds to speak truth with charity. The two must be brought together. John brings his word with charity and grace. But not only courage and charity, finally we see that God sends us, his heralds, to speak truth with courage, with charity, and finally, with costliness. There is a great cost to speaking truth. First, God sends heralds to speak truth with courage. If you're with me in Mark chapter 6, you'll see at verse 17 and 18 how courageous John is. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he'd married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him. Herod Antipas is the Herod in the story, the son of Herod the Great, who was the Herod at the time of Jesus' birth. This is his son, Herod Antipas. And he's gone and had what seems to be an adulterous affair with his living brother, Philip's wife. And through it, she divorces Philip. And then Herod puts away his present wife and they get married. So literally, this is a story of a living brother whose wife, sister-in-law, ends up having an affair and marrying the man. Now, what's interesting about this is it's not just that it's adultery. It's that John is calling Herod out for something that is specifically in the law of God. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 21, God specifically deals with this situation. He says, you shall not have your brother, your living brother's wife. This is not to happen. It's so egregious that God specifically puts this in his law. And that's what John is calling out Herod for. But you've got to ask yourself, how does John find the courage to speak to the king like this? I mean, he must know that his life is going to be on the line. How does he find the courage to speak to the king? Well, hear this, that John's courage to speak the truth is grounded in the fact that John knows the truth. John's courage to speak the truth is grounded in the fact that John knows the truth. And here's the truth that he knows. Herod's not the king. John knows 
that Herod isn't the king. Ultimately, he's not the king, but even temporally, he's not the king. What's really interesting here in verse 14 is we're told Herod the king. And if you read in the Greek, English it says King Herod, but in the Greek it says Herod the king, Herod the king. Verse 22, verse 25, verse 26, verse 27. Herod the king, Herod the king, Herod the king, Herod the king. It's actually a mockery because Herod actually wasn't called king. He called himself king. He whispered it in his courts, but he wasn't a king. He was actually the tetrarch of Galilee. And you might think I'm splitting hairs. I'm not. See, king is a word that means something specific. Tetrarch implies a sense of royalty, but it's submitted under a king, under a Caesar. In fact, it's interesting that later in Herod's life, Herod eventually will get exiled and banished by Emperor Caligula because he petitions Caligula for the title king. He says, can you call me a king? Can you give me that title? And Caligula sends him out of the empire. Isn't it interesting also that Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that it was Herodias' suggestion that he asked Caligula for that title? She really is the Jezebel for Herod in this story. See, Herod so badly wanted to be the king because in the Jewish mindset, to be the king over the Jews was to be none other than the Messiah. That's what Messiah means, Messiah, anointed one, anointed king. To call yourself the king of the Jews is to declare yourself the Messiah, that all the biblical prophecies are pointing to you and you can enjoy such amazing loyalty and fealty. I am the Messiah. I am King Herod. Like his father, Herod the Great, Herod Antipas wanted to be the Messiah, to be called the king, but Herod's no Messiah. He's no Messiah. I like how Bishop Ambrose says this, he says of this passage, it was a shameful thing in the first place for a kingdom to be promised for a dance. And it was cruel in the second place for a prophet to be sacrificed for the sake of an oath. What could be more vile than a murder done not to displease one's guests? See, John knows that Herod's not the Messiah. John knows, and this courage comes from knowing that Herod's not the Messiah. I mean, it's as if John could be saying to Herod, listen, Herod, I know you're not the Messiah. You know why I know you're not the Messiah? Because I baptized the Messiah in the Jordan River. He's my cousin, and he looks nothing like you. He acts nothing like you. He speaks nothing like you. He is the Messiah. See, even if Herod could claim the civic title king, Ultimately, he's not the king. There is a king in heaven, and John knows this. This is why John has the courage to stand before Herod. It's the same reason why Paul has the ability to stand before Nero. In our household, some of you know that we, uh, I made the suggestion, and my family uh, somewhat reluctantly followed, that we would call all of our dogs after biblical, vile tyrants. So our, our, our one dog, our eldest dog, is Tiglath-Pileser III, the king of Assyria. Um, we call him affectionately Tiggy. Our second dog is Leviathan, 
the tyrannical sea monster of the Old Testament. We call him Levi. And I'm pretty sure that when we get another dog, I was going to call him Nebuchadnezzar, and then we call him Nebi, but as I realized last week, Nebuchadnezzar actually ends as a righteous king. So we can't call him Nebuchadnezzar. I think we got to call him Harry for Herod. All my wife heard right now is, we're getting a third dog. Um, (laughs) T.R. Glover once wrote these words. He says, though Paul was sentenced to death by Nero, little did Nero know that a day was to come when people would call their sons Paul and their dogs Nero. Courage comes from knowing the truth. That whatever it is we're facing, the tyrants we face, the difficult persons we face, the powers and corrupt principalities we face, they are not the king. There is a God in heaven. There is a king of kings and a Lord of lords. And John knows that. And that's where his courage comes from. If you look at the front of your bullets and you'll see a painting by Peter Paul Rubens. This We have a print of this hanging over our mantle in our home. And we've had it on the bulletin cover all these weeks waiting for this final sermon. But I'll tell you that in this moment being captured by Peter Paul Rubens depicts a moment from 390 AD when Emperor Theodosius sent troops to Thessaloniki with orders to kill all those who were rioting in the Hippodrome. There was a riot and he said, go kill them all. And the soldiers left with those orders and he changed his mind, sent a messenger after, but the messenger didn't get there in time and 7,000 people were killed in the Hippodrome at Theodosius' order. What was the bishop's response? Bishop Ambrose excommunicated the emperor. Can you imagine? He said, you cannot come to the communion table until you come and lay prostrate in repentance and vow that you will change the law, that this can never happen again. And Theodosius waited for a season, was so conflicted, and eventually turned, came, repented, and changed the law. That is why in our Western legal tradition today, any death sentence requires at least 30 days before it can be carried out because of that moment a courageous prophet speaking to a king and changing the world because Ambrose knew that Theodosius was not the true king. See, the heralds that God sends, we, the heralds that God sends, are sent to speak truth with courage. But not just courage, to speak truth with charity. I like how in verse 20, we read this strange reality that though John is speaking so plainly this this truth against Herod's corruption verse 20 says Herod feared John knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and he kept John safe when he heard John he was greatly perplexed and yet he heard him gladly I mean what a phrase when he heard John he was greatly perplexed but he heard him gladly He heard John gladly because John spoke this hard truth of God with charity. Though John was a fiery prophet, 
in the midst of John's speech was always love and charity and grace. John was speaking not simply to condemn Herod, but he was speaking to save Herod. Oh, turn from your wicked way, O king. As we read in John 3, 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. John speaks with charity. And that's why Herod can hear it. He's still perplexed. It doesn't change Herod's heart, but Herod is intrigued. See, the challenge we have in our world is so often we have a binary way of thinking about speaking truth. Either we think in, tr- in terms of let's be all courageous with no charity, right? And we run around with it like, a, as Paul would say, a sounding, a clanging gong or a clanging cymbal. We're so loud and aggressive. Or on the other hand, we get so full of charity that we pull back with no courage and we won't even speak. But instead, what John is demonstrating for us is that when God sends his heralds to speak truth, we are to go with courage and with charity mixed together. Because without charity, the world cannot hear this truth. Don't you love it when someone comes to you with all bluster and anger? They're they're maybe speaking truth to you, but it comes off as just this aggressive, overbearing, you know, it's it's a shooting gallery. They rip strips off of you. And then afterwards they say something like this. Well, I just had to get that off my chest. And I want to say, well, good for you. Are you feeling better now? Having a little narcissistic, cathartic moment here? Feeling like you've sort of got off your chest what you need? I'm glad you feel so good about yourself speaking truth. I've been ruined by this truth because clearly you are speaking truth to me for your sake. Not for my sake. No charity, no grace, just accusation. Much, much courage, no charity. Herod heard John gladly. I honestly own the fact, and I've repented before God, I've repented before my brother, but I own the fact that in my life, my middle brother, I believe in many ways, still struggles with Christianity. Because his older brother, at the time of his conversion, was so overbearing in the way I spoke the truth, was so aggressive in my apologetics, so overbearing in the way I spoke to him about his sin, speaking truth with very little love. Not Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love, speaking the truth with no love whatsoever. And to this day, I walk with the reality that my words without charity very well put a stumbling block in my brother's path. God is sovereign. God can overcome that. It's not about me. But to know the power of your words when they're not offered in love. I love how Galatians Galatians 6, 1 says, "Brothers, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You know, it's interesting, John's charity is not just seen in the way he speaks, but even in his, in his willingness to speak. I mean, John could have very well just ignored Herod. We have that in our lives all the time. We see deceit, we see lies, and, and we can choose 
to take the lane of least resistance and just say, you know, I can ignore that. I don't need to speak into that. But John, in charity, in grace, in love for Herod, refuses to simply say, well, Herod doesn't matter. I don't care. It's not my problem. He speaks. I love how George Whitfield, one of the greatest preachers of the 18th century, perhaps one of the greatest preachers in Christian history, said this once. He said, if your souls were not immortal and you not in danger of losing them, I would not thus speak to you. But the love of your souls, it constrains me to speak. Methinks this would constrain me to speak unto you forever. With charity, God's heralds are sent to speak truth. Courage and charity. But finally, God sends heralds to speak. He sends us as his heralds to speak truth with courage, with charity, but also with an awareness of costliness. Verse 27, the story ends not the way we'd want it to. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head, and he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. It's a depressing ending. It's almost, when you read this as a gospel text, it's almost hard to say the gospel acclamation, right? The gospel of Christ, praise to you, Lord Christ. It's hard to say that at the end of this. And yet we need to realize that this is the gospel. Because here's what we struggle with. John did it right, and he still got killed. He did it right. Courage, charity, and he still got killed. There was still a cost beyond that. The difficulty we have is we struggle with this idea that if we do what God calls us to do, that it still may be that we end up on a cross. We, we struggle with this. In, in our offices, um, our ministry center offices, I, I regularly make a joke, and I don't want to take it down because it constantly reminds me of, of sort of halfway Christian truth that can often be spoke, spoken. Some of you heard me speak about this before. There's this, um, there's this poster in our ministry center offices, and it, it clearly came from a place like Hobby Lobby, um, and it says this. You've heard something like it. It says, um, God's will, the will of God will never take you where the grace of God will not protect you. And I want to get a spray paint can and write on the wall underneath it and protecting you may be leading you to a cross to die. The will of God will never take you where the grace of God will not protect you. Yes, God will never leave you or abandon you, but it may be that his grace is to help you bear that cross up the hill and die. Because this is what happens to Jesus, this is what happens to so many of the apostles, and this is what happens to the martyrs and saints throughout every generation. There is a cost to follow Jesus. You do things right and there's still blood to be shed. This is the way of Jesus. The costly way of Jesus. I love how at the beginning of our passage in verse 14, it's a strange moment where it says, King Herod heard of all that Jesus was doing. Jesus and his apostles were doing all these things, healing people, speaking, and for Jesus' name had become known. And some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, no, he's Elijah. And others said, no, he's a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod, verse 16, when Herod heard about Jesus and his miraculous deeds, he said, John 
whom I beheaded has been raised. Now it's strange because Herod hears about all these things Jesus is doing and he mistakes the identity of Jesus for John the Baptist. But here's what's so amazing about that. Jesus was mistaken for John. Herod got it wrong. It wasn't John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner to Jesus, the one who prepared the way. But Herod mistaking John the Baptist for Jesus is an incredible commendation to John because what it means is John's life looked so much like Jesus' life that when you heard about what they were doing, it sounded like the same person. This is precisely the calling to which each of us have been led to by the Holy Spirit to be growing in Christ likeness in such a way that we get mistaken for Jesus like John did. That our lives look like his life. John was the forerunner of Jesus in every way. Stephen Schwartz, long before he wrote Wicked, wrote Godspell passage of, you know, the story of Jesus from Matthew's gospel. John the Baptist comes out at the very beginning, the forerunner. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And at the end of the musical, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, prepare ye the way of the Lord for his disciples. John is dead. Now the disciples, prepare ye the way of the Lord. We, like John, now run in the way of Jesus. We are called to be mistaken for Jesus, even with this costly living of courageously and with charity speaking truth into a broken world. And why would anyone ever do this? Why would anyone ever speak truth if there's this much cost it's because if we can hear it we have already been on the receiving end that God in his grace has already come to us we who are full of deceit we who are full of lies and spoke the truth over us courageously charitably but it cost God everything. As we come to the Eucharist every week, we're reminded of the truth that has been spoken over our deceitful hearts. And the cost of that truth, Jesus' own death. And so we who have received this costly truth, we who have been spoken to with the truth, both with courage and with charity and at great cost, how can we not respond by going forward into a world unwilling to put it under a bushel, unwilling to hide it and ignore it, but instead with courage and with charity, understanding the cost to pray, come Holy Spirit and teach me how to speak as a herald that you've made me to be. There was a young man in our parish number of years ago, who got into a war with the rector's wife. There was a disagreement over music during vacation Bible school. And this young man started bad-mouthing the rector's wife. There was gossip. It got very divisive. It got really, really ugly. So the rector's wife came to him privately with courage and with charity and spoke the truth about what she saw 
and he brushed her off. And again, the rector's wife came to him with another person and together with courage and charity, they pointed out the truth and he brushed them off. And then finally, two men who were on the parish council, think terms of vestry or wardens, came into that young man's office and confronted him and he realized, this is Matthew 18. These are the steps of one who sinned and being confronted with the truth. And he saw in their courage and in their charity the truth of his own sin. He repented. He was forgiven. Now what's important about this story is I'm not the rector in this story. I'm the young man. And I believe to the core of my being that I would not be in the church today if those individuals, those heralds of truth, had not courageously and with charity, counting the cost, come to me with the truth of my deceit. What is the good news of this strange John and Herod story? The good news is that in this world of deceit and lies, God is determined to send heralds who will speak truth, his truth, into the world. And the good news is that we are those heralds. And that by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will equip us and enable us as we come through word and sacrament week after week and are formed and reminded of our great former and current deceit and lies and are shown the truth and spoken by word and sacrament of our deceit, that we confront it and hear it and see the cost of that salvation, that we then too are sent out, empowered, commended, commissioned, to be heralds of the truth. And this is how a deceitful, lying world will be changed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.